Do you want to say something like random and then do like the music? Princess can smell a banana hammock. The second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dark History Podcast. Our episodes on typhoid vary. I can't help but wonder what led her to have such a distrust of authority. I don't know if it was this moment right here of Dr. Stoper coming in and saying these things because he clearly handled it wrong and then they yeah. are literally harassing her and going after her and now yeah. they have like but her very first interaction with him with the fort with was, the carving fort yeah, immediately was immediate so it makes me wonder did something happen and I know you can't that's answer that problem. because we, we don't, don't know, know. Yeah. so that's just an interesting little yeah, like, I, I uh, often wondered what her past was like to make her immediately go, I'm going to attack this man with a carving fork, you know? And I mean, she's unmarried. Exactly. So that also leads to, was it a distrust of men in general? It could have been. We don't know. So, I'm sorry, but, sister. No, you're fine. <laughs> we'll go off topic there. Stoker wrote in the bulletin in 1939, A few days later, I received a telephone call from Dr. Parker, which told me that Mary's bowel movements contained a pure culture of vasculus typhus. I have no idea if I said that right, but like they obviously took her feces and urine without consent. A vasculus you know. is a snake from Harry Potter. Whatever. Uh, the examinations were made three times a week from the date of her capture, March 20th to November 16th, 1907. Wait, 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 wait. From March to November? Hang on. March and only in a few instances where the typhoid. That's eight months! And only in a few instances where the typhoid organisms were not found. So there were only a couple of times where typhoid was not found in her feces and yes she was held for eight months eight months eight months oh okay well i know it's gonna get worse because i know there's stuff up ahead when her tests came back and they discovered that her gallbladder was just full of typhoid it shook people even medical how did they know her her gallbladder well because of her feces okay yeah does your gallbladder i, I don't know there feces? was like medical lingo that i asked out of because i don't read medical lingo very well i i could probably try to yeah i, I can decipher medical lingo but yeah but i don't actually know because, what all your gallbladder does because the infection was not in her intestines or her like her urinary tract which is a little rare and strange and it was coming out in her feces i mean this is a little gross it had to have been her gallbladder so it just kind of like 
she colonized in her gallbladder. Basically. Okay. Um and and so it's just it's there. Yes. And it's not making her sick, it's just making people around her sick. Yes. When her test came back and they discovered that her gallbladder was just full of typhoid. It shook people, even medical professionals, because she looked so healthy, perfect skin, rosy cheeks, healthy. Th this scared people, except for Stoper, who was just pumped full of I told you so adrenaline. Her gallbladder was his golden ticket to those book deals, those writing scientific journals, a Nobel Peace Prize, going down in the history books. He just needed one thing, one thing. Her gallbladder. For Mary to consent to surgery to remove her gallbladder. Oh, this isn't... Okay, I'm guessing from how I know how the story ends, that's not going to happen. And Stoper, being almost an equally stubborn as Mary... Oh, God. ...would try a third time to reason with her. Because if they hadn't... Because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I mean, you but have they to say, admire his tenacity here. They say the third time's a charm, but this is not this case. So maybe if they hadn't left her stewing in a hospital bed for eight months, this meeting would not have turned out so badly. Right? I mean, they didn't need samples. And, and what did you say? Did you say earlier they were taking them like two or three times a week? Yeah, three times a week. Three times a week. Monday, Wednesdays, and Friday. Months. You assume. I think she says later on Monday, Wednesday, I mean, and Friday. Three times a week for eight months. They didn't need to hold her for that long to make their determination. A month, maybe. Yeah. But no, they just leave her stewing for eight. Oh my gosh. Uh, again, I'm gonna let him explain their third meeting because it's kind of mind-boggling to me. And, and to we be can dissect this, okay? Um. So Stoper in the bulletin again. Did you like dissecting um people psychologically? Nineteen thirty-nine. The room, with its white walls and ceiling and floor, the white bed and the white bathrobe which Mary was wearing, gave the curiously healthy and fearful, angry-looking people a startling appearance. Mary, I said, I have come to talk with you and see if between us we cannot get you out of here. When I have asked... Why the hell should I bloody well trust you? <laughs> when I have asked you to help me before, you have refused... And when others have asked you, you have refused them also. You would not be where you are now if you had not been so obstinate. I mean, really. Obstinate. Come on. Come on, Stoper. You're I mean, already victim blaming. I mean, okay. You could have handled the situation a bit better there, dude. Yes. Go so, on. throw off your wrong-headed idea and be reasonable. Nobody wants to Oh my you. god, no woman likes being No person likes being told, oh, now come now, be reasonable. Nobody wants to harm you. You say you have never caused a case of typhoid, but I know you have done so. Nobody thinks you have done it purposely, but you have done it just the same. Many people have been sick and have suffered a great deal. Some have died. You refuse to give specimens which would help to clear up the trouble. So you were arrested and brought here. And the specimens... Well, she wasn't arrested. She was kidnapped. She wasn't on. arrested. She did not receive due process. There was no there, there was no Miranda rights. Did they have Miranda rights? I don't know, but she did not receive due process. So you were she arrested. She hasn't been charged with any crimes. No. So you were arrested and 
brought here and the specimens taken in spite of your resistance, they prove what I charged. Now, man, I'd be like hiding my poop. <laughs> I'm just saying. Now, you must surely see how mistaken you were. Don't you acknowledge it? No. No, I don't acknowledge anything. Mary looked at me steadily, but neither spoke nor moved. Her eyes gleamed angrily. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I continued, I will tell you how you do it. When you go to the toilet, the germs which grow within your body get upon your fingers. And when you handle food in cooking, they get on the food. People who eat this food swallow the germs and get sick. If you would wash your hands after leaving the toilet and before cooking, there might be no trouble. You don't keep your hands clean enough. Okay, here's the thing. Back then, soaps were very caustic. And I'll go over it later in this, but they, they were. They would make your hands red and raw, and they would even make your hands bleed on certain occasions. And they were just very irritable. Irritable? They were caustic. <laughs> now, I've, I've read, like, women doing laundry day, mm -hmm. and it just being, like, an absolute dreading it because... That's why they hired laundresses. Yeah, but that's got to... Like, ugh. You don't keep your hands clean enough. And nobody wants to be told that. Mary's expression did not change, nor did she utter a word. I was brought to tell her what I had come to say, so I continued. The germs are probably growing in your gallbladder. The best way to get rid of them is to get rid of your gallbladder. You don't need a gallbladder any more than you need an appendix. There are many people living without them. Mary, I continued. I don't know how long the Department of Health intends to keep you here. I believe that depends partly on you. I can help you if you will answer my questions. I will do everything I possibly can to get you out. I will do more than you think. I will write a book about your case. There you go. There it goes. I will not mention your real name. I will carefully hide your identity. I will guarantee that you will get all the profits and it will be easy for you to answer my questions. You know what I want to find out. Above all, I want to know if and when you have had typhoid fever and how many outbreaks and cases you have seen. As I finished with my back there against the door, Mary rose. She pulled her bathrobe around her, not taking her eyes off of mine, slowly opened the door to her toilet and vanished within and the door slammed. There was no need for waiting. It was apparent that Mary did not intend to speak to me, so I left the place. She just got up and walked out and shut the door like, nope. <laughs> I mean, whereas I can understand from the medical point of view, the removal of the gallbladder. If that is the source of the infection, removing the gallbladder, then she can be free to go about and live her life. But from this woman's perspective, it's just principle. That's my gallbladder. I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> Honestly, at this point, you have already harassed this woman multiple times. Kidnapped her from off the street from her house. Stolen samples, urine, feces, and blood without her consent. Held her captive for eight months without allowing her to call any family or friends. Why even bother asking? Just strap her down and cut her open. It would honestly save the taxpayers money, save everyone the hassle. But they decided, no, 
We're going to ask her for this. This will ask her permission. On. This is the line. We aren't crossing it. Stealing someone's stool samples is less invasive than taking someone's Well, to be fair, that'll eventually come out of its own. <laughs> so they did the next best thing. They shipped her off to an island. Wow. Just wow. She was shipped off to North Brother Island, which is home to Riverside Hospital. Riverside was originally built there to quarantine people who had infectious diseases. It has since, today, been shut down and no tourists are allowed on the island. Which at first I was like, okay, what are you hiding on this mysterious island with no humans? But then I thought about it and I was like, it might still have contaminations, contaminants. Ghosts. And they probably don't want the general public going there and coming back with a strange illness. Wasn't it like a leper colony? I, I think they may have had some of them on there. But I don't know. Maybe we should do an episode on North Brother Island. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. Okay, you guys, let us know if that's something you want, if you're interested in it. It's probably super haunted. They probably have a couple of ghost stories. You know what? Oh, yeah. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Mary arrived on the island early in late November or early December of 1907. And she would remain on the island for three years. Three? Or until 1910. Mary was given a little bungalow, which was nice. It had indoor plumbing, electric, a gas stove, modern luxuries that she as a maid or a cook couldn't afford at the time. Well, I mean, it's not the worst thing ever, but... She was even given, like, a little puppy dog, a little terrier. Oh, those to, are the best. Yeah, to keep company. To keep her company. You know, you can spruce up a prison all you want, make it as fancy and comfortable as possible, but it still doesn't change the fact that she was a prisoner, kept against her will, on an island with little hope of escaping. She could see New York City from where she was, but she had little hope of reaching it. Her friends, her life, they were all in reachable it was if she attempted to swim she would surely drown in the currents before she even reached the other side wow a gilded cage is still a cage exactly a gilded cage is still a cage Mary would later write of her time on the island, and I think it's quite fascinating because it's one of the few surviving documents that tell of her emotions and anxiety of being held a prisoner on an island. Now, it was written to the editor of the New York American in late June of 1909, and we haven't really gotten to that part yet, but I think it's important to see um, a little bit of her lifestyle. I like her, like, like the mindset, like her yeah. psychological but I'll point where, like, these letters come in later. It says, I will state that I am not segregated with the typhoid patients. There is nobody on this island that has typhoid. There was never any effort by the board authority to do anything for me except to cast me on the island and keep me a prisoner without being sick nor needing medical treatment. When I first came here, I was so nervous with grief and trouble, my eyes began to twitch, and the left eyelid became paralyzed and would not move. It remained in the condition for six months. There was an eye specialist who visited the island three and four times a week. He did not ask to visit me. I did not even get a cover for my eye. I had to hold my hand on it whilst going about, and at night, tie a bandage on it. In December, when... That has to be really bad, because, I mean, like, you need to blink to help moisturize your eyes, so... Yeah, well, the thing is, she says, 
Um, there was an eye specialist who visited the island three to four times a week. He was he was never asked to visit me. She can't ask to have an eye specialist visit her? I don't know. I don't know. In December, when Dr. Wilson took charge, he came to me and I told him about it. And he said, that was news to me. And that he would send me an electric battery. But I don't know why he's sending her an electric battery. I don't battery. know why he's sending her. But he never sent it. Oh, you know, your eye's just like that because it's hysteria. But it's probably called fries caused by your typhoid. Did they think that back then? However, everything was hysteria yeah. for a woman. However, my eye got better thanks to the Almighty God and no thanks. She crossed out no thanks. In spite of the medical staff, I have been, in fact, a peep show for everyone. Even the interns had to come see me and ask about the facts already known to the whole wide world. The tuberculosis man would say, There she is, the kidnapped woman. Wow. While on the island, they ran several tests, taking more samples. I think I read like three times a week for the first several months and then maybe once a week to once a month after that, but don't quote me. But they noticed something quite strange with her tests. Sometimes her tests would come back as positive for the pathogen, while other times it came back as negative. You know how like a lot of the times uh, they've been... Especially recently, we've heard a lot of COVID people, they have negative tests, but they still have, like, COVID right, symptoms. like my family member yeah. who tested negative, but he had the same symptoms. Well, this was happening with her, that sometimes she would have it and sometimes she wouldn't. This meant that she was something called an intermittent carrier which was even rarer than a healthy carrier. So so then basically the Dr. Stoper is sitting there going like, ka-ching! Exactly. Now if only she would let us take out her gallbladder. <laughs> so sometimes she could be infectious and accidentally pass it to others, while other times she could be perfectly safe to be around. Guests were allowed to visit the island twice a week, but she rarely got any visitors except for maybe her friend, August Bryhoff, which didn't we was was a, a podcast or an article or something that said that he he would collect or or he would take her samples from the island to I'll go over it. Okay. Sorry, jumping ahead. I guess she was able to make that phone call after all. There are rumors that Mary was even using August to smuggle her feces out to have it tested in a private lab. They were said to have... Can, can you imagine August going, Oh, Mary, shit! <laughs> I left that out too long! <laughs> well, here, let me give you a fresh sample, and that's why you have the negatives. They were said to have come back negative, but why she would not use this information to free herself leads me to believe it is just a rumor. I haven't been able to, like, confirm that anywhere. Um, But even if it isn't a rumor, and it is true, that is a really good friend right there. I don't even think I would do that for family member let alone a friend oh you wouldn't smuggle my poop no oh no not even a little bit even if it were just in a nice little paper bag <laughs> no anyways the other patients on the island avoided her for fear of catching typhoid and they didn't want to get sick uh seriously guys you're infected with other things you should know yeah, but they didn't want to have those things plus typhoid right but i mean it's just fine as long as you don't like you know 
eat. She did have one friend on the island. Her She was a brave nurse by the name of Adelaide Offspring. That's a name. Uh, they would go on walks and talk together, and Mary would help out with the children when she could and play with them. I guess the children weren't scared of her. They kind of liked her. Now, how sad is that, that there are children on this infectious island? I know, right? Now, my question is, and this will probably be when we do go over the island at some point, are the children infected, or are they just the children of the infected? Uh, you know what? I don't know. I That would be interesting to find out. But even though she tried to make the most of her predicament, she still dreamed of leaving the island. She did not want to be there. Well, of course not. You know, Jasmine didn't want to be stuck in the palace. She wanted to get out and see the world. She tried to make a case. She talked to the doctors and board members about releasing her, and they actually considered it after about a year. But she still wouldn't let them take out her gallbladder, would she? When they asked her where she would go after getting discharged... Uh... She told them New York City. That was her home. That, that was, was all she knew from the age of 15. Exactly. She lived there longer than she lived in Ireland. That, that was where her only friend, August Breithoff, lived. So, of course, you know, she's going to want to stay. That was where she could get work. The only problem was New York City didn't want her. Well, New I York mean, didn't want her. Clearly, they knew who she was, so of course they wouldn't want her. This poor woman. The Department of Health told her if she promised to leave the state and use a fake name, then they would release her. But Mary didn't want to leave the state. She didn't want to change her name and go into hiding. She wanted everyone to know she was held against her will, a victim of an overzealous medical system. Now, okay, right there. You gotta admire that woman, okay? Because she has a strong iron will. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of people would have just said, okay, fine, I'll leave. You know Mm. what? Whatever. I I just, I won't leave this place. But Mary said, you did me wrong. I'm not leaving New York. And I'm gonna tell the world you did me The whole world's gonna know what you've done to me. She told a reporter, I will either be cleared or die where I am now. And... And sadly. So the Department of Health... There's more to the story. So the Department of Health responded by saying, well, she could stay in the state, keep her name, cook. She just got her gallbladder removed. Well, I'm not going to give you my gallbladder. She refused. <laughs> That's <laughs> mine. You can't have it. During a session at the American Medical Association in June of 1908, so a year later, a year into her incarceration, her quarantine, whatever, a doctor gave Mary the nickname Okay, okay, I just have to say, there are a lot of us who can't even handle being quarantined for like a couple of months, and this woman is literally quarantined for three years on this island. Yes. During a session on the American Medical Association in June of 1908, a doctor gave Mary the nickname Typhoid Mary. Not very clever, but But, it followed her. So that's the first time that she's been called. And now, here we are in 2020, over 100 years from this, and we're still referring her as Typhoid Mary. Yes. Um, Like, I bet a lot of people don't even know her last name of Mary Mallon. It's Mallon, baby. It's Mallon. It's M. A-L-L-O-N. Malin. God, I hope I spelled that right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hey, guys, if she didn't, you know, spell that right, 
then let us know. Um, we'll, we'll explain how at the end of this podcast. It's this nickname, Typhoid Mary, followed her for the rest of her life. and Beyond! We even use it now as a term that means a carrier or a transmitter that is maliciously spreading anything undesirable or harmful or catastrophic to the healthy. So we use her name or her nickname as a bad thing. And I don't think she was really all that bad. But then again, future generations are going to have COVID Karen because of the videos. Exactly. Um, even though they don't necessarily have other things to do, but mm-hmm. history will remember. Although, history always remembers. Not, not, no offense to anyone named Karen. It's actually really lovely. It is a very pretty name. Now, her name has been kept out of the paper until July of 1908 when the Sunday headline read, Typhoid Mary, the extraordinary predicament of Mary Mallon, prisoner of New York's quarantine hospital. The first sentence stating... It is probable that Mary Mallon is a prisoner for life. It has a portrait picture of her, as well as a beautifully illustrated picture of her cracking skull heads over a frying skillet. Very steep for the 1900s, but honestly, I love the picture and the article. Both printed writings from Dr. Park, who tended to her at the hospital that she was first held at after capture. And of course, from our dear Dr. Soper. Because, you know, this man he, he just has loves the publicity. He does. Both doctors wrote, If she was released to the public, she would leave a trail of death and destruction in her wake. They were keeping her there to protect everyone else. This is where Mary wrote that letter I read to you earlier um, to the editor of the paper that I, but she also wrote, Dr. Park has had me illustrated in Chicago. I wonder how the said Dr. William H. Park would like to be insulted and put in the journal and called him or his wife Typhoid William Park. And I can hear an angry Irish woman in my head. It is a beautiful thing. Safe to say that she did not like the name Typhoid Mary. But you know, Mary, don't don't knock the illustration. That was actually a really good picture, I might add. It was very angsty and I loved it. Well, I, send you know it what? to me and we'll upload it to our Instagram. Yes, we'll post it to the Instagram. I'll post um her portrait too, I think. We we have an Instagram, we have a Twitter, and we have a Facebook page. <laughs> Plug. So anyways, her plight caught the attention because of course when you put things in the newspaper, it's gonna come back to bite you in the It's butt. going to because it's the newspaper. Her plight caught the it's attention. It's like twi- it's like tweeting today. You you can tweet something and that's gonna come back to bite you. Exactly. Her plight caught the attention of George O'Neill, a lawyer in Manhattan, who oh, felt well, so maybe sorry this for is a her. good thing then. No, this is a bad thing for the health department, a good thing for Mary Mallon. That's what I meant. It's a good thing for her. Yeah. It's not a good thing for everyone else. But George O'Neill, a lawyer, felt sorry for her, if not a little outraged. He felt that it was setting a bad precedent for future cases. And well, yeah, it, because I mean, what if they find other asymptomatic people? Are they gonna just haul them all to the island? That's exactly what they're gonna do. Then it was a clear, I don't think that's what they did, no, but it was a clear violation of her civil rights. It's unconstitutional, exactly, is, is the word that would be used. So, I think, <laughs> so he got to work 
It's not really well known how Mary Mellon paid for his help or if he took her case pro bono, but anyway, some people thought that she paid through it through um a sexual relationship, but those are just rumors. There is no proof. <sighs> I mean, okay, if, if you think about it from his perspective, like if he took this case. That's a very popular case. Yes, it's, it's like for his it's reputation. not necessarily I need to be paid for this. This is a... This is a charity case that I will take that will pay me in other ways because if I win this, I will have a shit ton of people wanting to come to me and be all like, hey, you represented a typhoid married and you got her spring from the hospital. Can you help me? I want to sue this person. Oh, yeah. So he could get a lot of money. Yeah. So I don't buy the whole, yeah, she slept with him thing, but I, I buy that advertisement free advertisement exactly okay so disclaimer i'm not a lawyer and i don't understand half the lingo that goes on in a court not, neither of us are lawyers but here we go he filed a writ of habeas corpus did i say that right uh, yes okay with the health department to explain that miss mary mallon was i vaguely know what that is okay he filed a complaint with the health department to explain why Miss Mary Mallon was being held prisoner. O'Neill told the judge that she had been denied her rights in every way and was held against her will without being given due process. The most the health department legally should have done was examine her and then take her to the hospital. Um, I, I don't know if O'Neill knew, but they tried multiple four times. times. But okay. And, and, and you know... They, they did take her to the hospital, and and they just didn't know what to do with her anymore, so they shipped her off to an island. Mary was brought to court, and it surprised everyone, because she, of course, looked healthy and clean, and not at all what they were expecting someone I imagine who by, was a germ distributor. I imagine by now. I imagine that they were not expecting this plump, middle-aged Irish woman. No, they were expecting a villain. Yeah, they were expecting this hook nose, you know, pointy chin, warts, and, and just dripping typhoid from her fingernips everywhere. And this is where Mary talks to the court, and I love what she says, so Good I'm going to do the best I can. I am an innocent human being. I have committed no crime, and I am treated like an outcast, a criminal. It is unjust, outrageous, uncivilized. It's uncivilized, I tell ya. It seems incredible that in a Christian community, a defenseless woman can be treated in this manner. Defenseless? Honey, you attacked a man with a fork. Wasn't there another incident with a <laughs> fork as well? I, I don't know. I only counted one. I thought there were two, but that was just her cursing at him. Oh, okay. Cursing. A compelling case, but the court would not rule in her favor. They determined her rights were not violated, and they sent her back to North Brother Island. She, in her anger, wrote letters to all the doctors, including Josephine Baker and George Soper, that if she ever got off the island, she would track them down and kill them. Oh boy. I'm gonna cook. I'm gonna make you some ice cream, force feed it down your throat, and make sure I give you the damn typhoid. <laughs> this, this is what gets me. She wrote letters to all the doctors saying, I'll kill you. And on February 19th, 1910, 
she was offered a compromise from the new health commissioner, Dr. Ernest J. Letterly. She should have threatened people sooner. <laughs> she said that he let her go as long as she promised to report to the health department once a month, never worked as a cook again, kept her hands clean, take health and safety precautions to prevent infecting others. Okay, now see, in this day and age... That's one of the reasons why cooks and stuff wear gloves. Yes. But if she had worn gloves, it might have helped. But they didn't have, like, the rubber gloves back in the days. But no. Cloth gloves. But She was born in the wrong time period. She was. I think at this point, the island and the health department were just tired of her. Like, I just I just can't anymore. I mean, she never picks up after her dog. And the little thing <gasps> she yelps and yaps all the time. And it's just, she's, she's no longer helping with the children. She's just scaring the children. I'm not saying she did any of that. Yes, you are. You just said it. I, I'm not saying she literally did oh, any of that. Okay. I'm just, you know, they're but just, just I, making up excuses to get rid of her at I this point. I think she was starting to become really bad publicity. For the island for, and like we're gonna take the island. We're gonna take our infections to somewhere else. But safe to say it was a good deal. Mary agreed. I mean she jumped on it quickly. And she signed an affidavit agreeing to all the conditions. She was finally released in But she just can't work as a cook. She can't work as a cook. And for uh, a short time, she will cooperate with the terms and conditions. She took a job as a laundress, um, where the soaps used to clean the clothes would contam wouldn't contaminate others, because the soap and the hot water would just you know keep her hands clean. Would discontaminate the decontaminate. Um, decontaminate. Thank you. The um the laundry. Right. So it was a safe job. Uh, she reported to the... But it's a hard one. Uh, yes. It doesn't pay very well. Yeah. She reported to the health department once a month. There was just one problem. Mary had trouble making ends meet on such meager wages. Like you just said, it's not a well-paying job. It's long, hard hours, and it doesn't pay well. She realized she made more money working as a cook for the 1%. Uh. Than she ever did as a laundress or a maid. And the work was harder for her. Being a laundress in those times, it wasn't easy. The soaps, like I said before, were caustic. Um, so that would just leave her hands raw and sore. Yes. And sure, as a cook, you would have to wash your hands, but not to the extent of a laundress. And the hours were long and they were harder. And by cook. now she's like, what? Nearly, not, by now she's like 40. Mary's pushing 40, which is like today's 60. The 1900s were hard, man. It was a hard life for her. Oh. So she filed a lawsuit against New York City and the Board of Health for unlawful imprisonment. And she asked for $50,000 in damages. Holy crap! That's a lot of money in those days. Oh, I'm not going to bother to take the time to figure out how much that is in 2020 dollars, but it's like gazillions. It's a lot of money in today's day and age, too. It, it's, it is. She claimed 
because she could no longer work as a cook and had to take lower paying jobs, her income had been drastically reduced and she'd lost wages. Also, the damage done to her reputation would ensure that she would never cook again. I mean, they didn't want her to cook again or that she would not find jobs so easily. And it's not like they exactly had a way for her to be able to file like disability. And I'm not actually sure if she would qualify for disability. I mean, or I, I, I think that that would be considered a pre-existing condition. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. But people were afraid of getting sick, so it was harder for her to find jobs. I mean, I imagine that even if she was able to get a job as a maid, they, they wouldn't necessarily want her doing things, and she wouldn't be able to get, like, the good parts of being a maid. Yes. It would be the lower parts. Unfortunately, her case was dismissed. She would not win it. And she did not get her $50,000. Do not pass go. <laughs> Do not collect $50,000. The third and final straw, and I think this one is what hurt the most for me reading it, was August Breihoff. What of him? He was probably the only thing keeping her in her new harsh reality, and he would die of a heart condition. Oh, no. So he died. Yes. So her one and only friend, her possible lover, is dead. Remember, as far as we know, she has no one else in <sighs> Like, the, the aunt and uncle that she, she had died soon after she got there. Yeah. We don't know what happened to her parents, so this guy was the only, oh. So now she's yeah. all alone in the world. August Bryhoff was her only friend. He stuck by her through thick and thin. He would come to the island and he visit. visited her. He smuggled her. her I mean, he okay, may or may that, not have smuggled her poop. <laughs> that's a friend right there. And now he was gone. So now she is literally all alone in the world, pretty much destitute. Is yeah. this where she goes back to the island? She would report once a month to the health department for this is a where I'd go year back to the island. after her release, but then she stopped coming. Okay, so it doesn't go back to the island. She would not resurface again for another four, nearly five years. I did not know that. I thought they just... Four, nearly five years. This is in 2010? 2019, she does not resurface until January and February of 1915 when an outbreak of typhoid fever occurred in the Sloan Hospital for Women on West 59th Street, New York City. Wait, 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 wait. A woman's hospital? Mm -hmm. So probably a woman, a, a hospital where women go to have babies? Mm -hmm. She was there for four months before an outbreak happened. Oh, then she didn't make ice cream for four months. <laughs> she tried really hard not to contaminate anyone. Um, okay, wait, wait, wait. This is in 1915. So yes. by now they've had a vaccine for four years. You're catching on, man. Okay. There were 25 cases that affected mostly nurses and other attendants of the institution, and two of the affected would die of their symptoms. Mm -hmm. That is three fatalities that we know of. Which constitutes, by definition, her as a serial killer. Yep. Death by typhoid. It is possible that it could have been much worse if the hospital had not been vaccinated against typhoid. Luckily, a vaccine for typhoid fever was found four years earlier in 1911. I'm sorry, I jumped the gun. <laughs> they were like, oh shit, typhoid Mary has disappeared and we need to protect ourselves. <laughs> we need that vaccine ASAP. <laughs> so, 
thyroid problem. They've got 25 and let cases. Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. guess they call in our good friend, Dr. Soper. <laughs> they called in Dr. George Soper. And he's probably like, y'all hired a new cook lately. So George Soper wrote in the bulletin in 1939. Yes, we're back to reading him. One day, Dr. Why? Why not just read him when he provides you so much source material? He's such a great writer, too. I love his writing. One day, Dr. Edward B. Karen, head obstetrician and gynecologist of Sloan I Hospital. I called it. I called it. It's where women go to have babies. Yep. Telephoned me asking that I come out once to the hospital to see him about a matter of great importance. When I arrived there, he said he had a typhoid epidemic of more than 20 cases on his hands. The other servants had jokingly nicknamed the cook Typhoid Mary. She was out at the moment, but would I recognize her handwriting if she was really that woman? He handed me a letter for which I saw at once. The cook was indeed Mary. And I also identified her from his description. Okay, now, there are ways for... Experts to be able to see the way certain people write. From what I understand, she wrote in a specific way that was taught in Ireland, but I'm not exactly sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would have imagined he probably spent so much time studying, studying her? her, studying her stuff, literally, and her poop and all that stuff. And he probably saw the letters that she wrote. Probably got a few strong worded letters. He probably reread the the, the threatening I mean, letters. She at least wrote him a letter once or and twice. You know, about he probably him. goes, Hang on, let me pull out my death threat letter. <laughs> yes, Let's compare it. Uh huh, uh huh. That's ooh, the way she sweeps her M's. Definitely. Mm -hmm, uh huh. Oh, 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 oh. She hesitates a little bit there. Definitely the same signature. So, <laughs> same he, woman. He called the health department so that they would be notified. And it was not long before Mary was again taken and sent to Wait. North Brother Island. I actually figured out that I got my date wrong and it was only a month after. So, what happens is Mary heard the Dr. Stoper was at the hospital and the outbreak had happened and she ran. Micah, you missed the best part. What? Her alias. Oh, did I not read it? I cut it out. Oh my gosh. Okay, guys. So she was going under an alias by the name of Mary Brown. Which, you know, is the color of poop. <laughs> she actually, there is another alias I was able to find that is oh, a yeah? little bit more romantic. And oh. it kind of leads me to believe there was more to their relationship. Oh, go on. Do tell. She went by Mary Bryhoff. Oh. As one of her other aliases. Okay. So, yes, that kind of does lead into a little bit more of a relationship, yeah, okay, which is kind of romantic and kind of sad. She's lost him. I was there for that relationship. I wanted to see it end happily. You, went, you knew going into this research, this wasn't going to end happy for her. I did, but I mean. You can on. hope anyway. Continue it. on. I'm sorry. Um, I just, you skipped over that, so I wanted to make yes. sure that got in. She was apprehended on March 27th, 1915, when the health department tracked her down to a home in Long Island. They would once again send in Dr. Josephine Baker, several officers in an ambulance. 
Because, hey, it's cool. We got this. We know how to make it work. Guard the coal building. <laughs> Do not let her enter where they put the coal. Leave the coal chute alone. <laughs> Leave the coal chute alone. And once again, Mary Mellon would attempt to evade capture by hiding in the bathroom. Okay, so the bathroom, not the coal chute. Of course, that didn't work. And she was carted off to Brother North Brother Island, where she would spend the rest of her life with no possibility of escape. Not much is known of her second incarceration. I mean, quarantine. Stoper wrote in the bulletin in 1939, Mary was on the island for the second time for 23 years. That's so sad. During this long period, she never once tried to escape. Did she want to regain her liberty after her second arrest? I believe she did not. Some think she had come to recognize her condition as inevitable and had become reconciled to a life of imprisonment. My belief is that a change had come over her. A change that was due largely to the passage of time. It was both mental and physical. She felt that she had been hounded because of typhoid fever. She did not admit that there was any typhoid about her, but since others said there was, she was not allowed to go freely where she pleased and do what she wanted to do. As her lawyer had said, she had been at first um, advertised to the world as a dangerous person and had been treated worse than criminal, and yet she had not been guilty of the least violence towards anyone, so at least he admits to this. So I can also imagine that at this point, she's getting on up in years, running is getting harder, and this looks like a good retirement plan. Exactly. She doesn't have to pay for anything. She has all the luxuries. I'm not saying that it's a good retirement plan, no, but it was a good but retirement but she had plan. all the luxuries. She had her dogs. I mean, it seemed like a good place to just stop. And once she got caught again, it's like, well, after I had that little stunt that I pulled, I'm never getting off and this remember, island. remember, she has no reason to go back she to She doesn't York. have anybody anymore. She's all alone in the world. The other thing we know about her. Is Christmas of 1932, Mary was found on the floor of her bungalow, paralyzed. Oh, no. She'd had a stroke and would never be able to walk again. She was moved to the hospital, so away from her bungalow and her dog. Where well, she probably would, a different dog. Yeah, where she would receive constant care. She died nearly six years later of pneumonia on November 11th, 1939. And after all this, there would be no autopsy. Her gallbladder was buried with her. Wait, what? After all of that, after all of that, they could have taken her gallbladder. But why? Now, I heard that they did do an autopsy, but Stoper wrote that there was no autopsy. He never received it, and I'm inclined to believe him, because he was the one who wanted it the most. He really wanted that gallbladder, guys. So... Stoper wrote again in the bulletin, the funeral possessed elements of irony as well as pathos. It was an odd climax to the curious career of this remarkable woman. I hardly call it a career, but okay. It was held in the large Roman Catholic Church of St. Luke's in, in 138th Street, the Bronx. Only nine persons would, were present. That's so sad. All of those in the city employ who had known Mary Mellon and had seen her come and go for so many years, 
there was not one that would follow her to her grave. Oh, that's so sad. So that was, like, how she died. Oh, that is so that sad. Like, they don't even have anybody. I think that Dr. Stoper sums this case up very well. And I'm going to read you one last article that he wrote. Stoper wrote it in the military surgeon in 1919, so before she even died. Surely, a mysterious, non-communicative, self-reliant, abundantly courageous person, a character apart by nature and by circumstance, strangely chosen to bear the burden of a great lesson to the world. If she had learned and been willing to practice what she learned, she would not have had the costly lesson to teach. That's a really beautiful It's thing. very profound. It's like she taught us so much. And there are lessons that By can... being unwilling to do what was asked of What's her. What's interesting is that it can, there's still a lot that we can learn from her today. Yes. That was such a remarkable life. I know. And so kind of sad and tragic. It's like society failed her. In a way. But at the same time... Or did she fail society? At the same time, it does kind of feel like she failed society. She could have just gotten that gallbladder removed and been on her way. It's like that ultimate stubborn pig-headed... And, okay, being part Irish, and, and you know how stubborn I can be. Yes. And how bullheaded I can be. So I, I, I can, from that standpoint, I can understand her. But at the same time... Just take my freaking gallbladder, okay? Yes, exactly. Although, at the same time, I'm also lazy and would be all like, no, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. Exactly. And I, I just kind of think this case is one that we need to remember because, especially nowadays when we have this epidemic, how easy it would be to slip back into the story of Miss Mary Mallon. It's also a cautionary tale. It is a very cautionary tale. She was unwilling to take safety precautions, and she infected several people. She killed three people, and although the numbers aren't high, they could have been much higher. That woman's hospital that she cooked at, that could have been a lot worse. And we don't know. That was just from that temp agency that we got that That is all we know is we from that temp agency. We don't know other people. And we don't know with. if it was her aunt, if her parents were affected, when she had typhoid to know when she was actually starting to infect people. I do find the theory of her being born with it very compelling. I do too. I think it's interesting. I don't know if that's possible. Um, I, a I lot mean, of people say that it is a possibility and that's what they think because she swore up and down to the day she died. She never had typhoid. That now it is sense. possible she had it as like a baby or a child before she, she was would too have young to remember. Exactly. Well, but is... even if that's the case, that would have been affecting her even in Ireland. But right. we don't know. But we don't know because... Okay, I remember, like, vague little things from when I was two, mm -hmm. but, like, for the most part, I remember more things from when I'm, like, four or five. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was two climbing a refrigerator to get to cake or pudding or something like that that my grandma put at the top, but I have very few memories of that. So if she had had it, it could have been around the time that... that she wouldn't have remembered. 
a lot of people don't remember anything from two and under. But in a way, I feel society failed her. And I feel she failed society. She was unwilling to take the risk and trust somebody else. But the it was clear she didn't trust a lot of people. She didn't. Because, because there was nobody else in her life. She, she, the harsh reality of her life taught her that she was the only person she could depend on was herself. Mm -hmm. And that... She, she couldn't trust anybody else. She grew up in a world where famine and disease was very normal. For all we know, her parents died. Yeah, and she also grew up in a world where, yes, a lot of Irish people were being treated better. But when she came to America, they were treated better. But that does not mean that there weren't prejudices. There weren't... Prejudices. Prejudices, thank you. And, I mean, think about it today. Though we treat African Americans better than, say, 50 years ago, that doesn't mean there, there aren't, aren't prejudices. prejudices. So her tale is very cautionary. She did not trust anybody. And she would not trust anybody to cut her open and take a gallbladder. And then also in the 1900s, cutting somebody open, surgery, infection, <laughs> infection would set in. You could die from that sort of thing that way way worse than today's day and age this is the thing that about history that fascinates me and always has is you can look at it and the stories are still relevant mm -hmm. because her tale you can look at the situation and though it's different you can apply its lessons yeah that's very important well, I think that's our episode for today. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and leave this off here. And this is either going to be a one-parter or a two-parter. We don't know yet. <laughs> I don't know. But do you want to go ahead and tell them what the next episode's going to be? I am going to be doing the next episode, and I'm going to be doing it on the most hated woman in America, Madeline Murray O'Hare. Who was brutally murdered, but not because she was the most hated woman on America. Madeline Marie O'Hare was murdered for one of the most age-old reasons greed so that'll be the next episode i uh, can't wait it actually sounds fun yeah. i know very little about it because that was all my prayer to be schooled <laughs> that was your case so. yeah so until next time i'm missy i'm micah and remember keep enjoying your curious tales also you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter yeah under curious tales podcast bye <laughs> <laughs> stop you. Okay.